Hello, and welcome to Bible Truth Feed. Today we've got a bit of an interesting subject for you, one that's not usually covered by Christian commentators. It's called The Bible Believer's Attitude to Leisure and Relaxation. Certainly we've got nothing like this on the ChristadelphianVideo.org network so far. Um, this particular speaker is Brother Andrew Jenner, who meets with the Christadelphians in Mumbles. To summarise, God's Word tells us what we need to know. What we are doing wrong, how to put things right, how to think, act and behave. But we live in a society in which the minds of men and women are filled with the activities and attractions that leave them with no time for God. So we must plan to produce the fruits of the Spirit, to do all to the glory of God, to inherit the Kingdom of God. So, without any further ado, this podcast is 46 minutes long, so we'll uh, get straight into it. As always, if you've got any comments, questions, or if you'd like to leave us a message, please do so, and we will do our best to publish them. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Bye. The believer's attitude to leisure and relaxation. Why is that? a topic that we might wish to consider together for a couple of moments. Well, the reason is, is, is that the Bible is not just a book that tells us about how we should live our lives, but also how we should apply that in what we do to each other as we try to walk towards God's kingdom. So we had a, a reading from Galatians chapter five, didn't we? There's a list there of things that the Bible claims are things that a Christian should not do. But we don't just don't do certain things, we have to do other things in their place. And then you have the list there that is called the fruits of the Spirit. So we're going to have a little look at those concepts in a couple of moments. We're going to start off by then having a look at key Bible principles, because when a, a Christian, someone who follows God, makes decisions about things in their lives, their first port of call is always to see what the Scripture says about that subject and see if they can apply it uh, to whatever the question or circumstance they find themselves in. So we're going to have a quick look at some key Bible principles to help us with some of the conundrums that we might face. We're going to think about sport. I put including golf there because golf clearly isn't a sport. <laughs> we're going to think about sport in a way that some people in the world are so infatuated with it. Is that what a Christian uh, should aspire to do? Uh, we're going to have a look at, at drugs and alcohol and see, does the Bible tell us about those things? Are those acceptable activities by themselves or is there something that we need to be cautious with when we're thinking about uh, what we put in our bodies? We're going to be having a look at fashion and fashion's changed throughout the ages. But one thing that we will identify is, is that the scriptural principles remain the same. They don't change even though society can change quite significantly uh, over periods of time. We're going to have a look at music. Uh, we've had some hymns today. Let's think about music briefly. Is music a good thing, a bad thing? We're going to have a look at TV and media. And then I'm going to ask you to do the iPhone challenge. And when I did this with a group of young people, uh, someone realized how much time they were spending on something. Uh, and as they walked up to the front, they deleted the app 
<laughs> because I'm going to tell you how long they spent on that particular app in seven days. Because it was more than a full-time job. And then we're going to draw our thoughts to, to a conclusion and really think about what is it that the Christian is striving for in their lives. Leisure and relaxation are by no means bad things. But that should never be the focus of a Christian's pilgrimage journey uh, towards God's kingdom. So let's start off then with a key biblical principle. And if you've got your Bibles open, it's always good to turn here and, uh, and to really try to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying to this young man, Timothy. What he's talking about with Timothy in chapter 3 is, is that he's underscoring that Timothy has learned about the Bible from an early age. And what he learned then is exactly the same as he is now as an adult. And it will be exactly the same thing as he is when he's of old age. It doesn't change. And he explains to Timothy these important principles. And it's 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And he says, all scripture, the whole Bible, is given by inspiration of God. That's a very important principle that the Christian holds dear. That what we have in front of us is not by men's design. It's not made up by any individuals. It's the inspired word of God in its entirety. So we can't, as a Christian, think about cutting things out things that we don't like. We've got to take all of its message as we try to walk towards God's kingdom. We can't pick and choose all scripture. And what is it for? Well, it's profitable for doctrine. And that simply means what do we need to know? What do we need to understand? The biblical principles that we're going to have a look at in a couple of moments. For a proof, Paul says to Timothy, so we know what we're doing wrong. The Bible makes it clear, doesn't it, that we're all sinners. And there are things that we do as Christians uh, that we wish we'd, we'd never done, that we regret. But the Bible tells us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven all of those things. But it's so important for the Christian that they don't just rely upon the forgiveness of Christ, that they try not to do those things. And then you've got the words for correction. The Bible tells us not only what we shouldn't do, but how do we get back on the right path so that we're walking together towards God's kingdom. For instruction in righteousness, how should we act? How should we think? How should we interact with each other? All of these very practical things the Bible makes very clear in terms of how Christians should live their lives. And it says that the man of God that the people of God may be complete, truly equipped for every good work. So quite simply, for a Christian, the Bible tells us categorically that the only things we need to know are within its pages in order for us to be followers of God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for every good work. So remember those verses because they're critical when we're thinking about some of the problems or questions that we're coming uh, and we're facing these days. Because what is it that a follower of society thinks about? And sometimes we can fall into these societal norms as well. What does society think is acceptable? What do our peers tell us to do? 
Well, some of the things, and this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but society tells us that maximize your focus on self. You do you. There is this myopic focus that what you want to do with your life, you should be able to do it, and nobody else should be able to tell you otherwise, unless it's a criminal activity. Is that what the Bible claims that our life is about? Well, there's two other dimensions, the pursuit of happiness and enjoyment. For many people, that's what this life is about, particularly in the Western world, that we want to be happy. And we're going to do many, many things in order to achieve that utopian vision. Um, Kim Kardashian, who is a, an influencer of some young people, she left her husband. And the reason she gave is she, she said, I want total happiness. Now, of course, my wife would clearly say that total happiness is being with me. <laughs> it's got an advantage she's not here today. So what other things? Well, there's the accumulation, isn't there, of, of power, status, and or wealth. You can interact with many people who have these different feelings that a successful life is one where we have a lot of material things. For others, that's an ancillary point. They want power, they want status. Whether it's power within their jobs or power within society, the celebrities, the politicians, and if we're not careful, the Christian can fall into these traps quite easily because that's what society wants us to do, is to conform to these normal things. But when a Christian thinks about how we should act in our lives, what should they be thinking about? Well, the unchangeable biblical principles that guide our life. And the Bible makes clear that the Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect example for us to follow. It's like he is the cornerstone in the church, the ecclesia, and we've got to try to build ourselves next to him. And we measure ourselves against this cornerstone, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And that never changes. So that's our datum point. If you're into construction, that's where we measure ourselves against is the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, in more recent times, there's been a movement, hasn't there, that particularly in my generation, to think that everything that has gone before is somehow wrong and that we know better. Just to highlight this, there's a, a picture there of Maleficent. Does anybody know who she is? Anybody know who she is? Yeah. No? Well, she is actually the witch from Snow White. Okay? She looks pretty evil, doesn't she? Well, no, not anymore, because the new Walt Disney movie is telling us that actually she was lovely beforehand. It was just a wicked prince that made her that way. And so the characters and the types are changing. There's another well-known show, The Wizard of Oz. You might know of that one. Well, in the new Wizard of Oz, the Wizard of Oz is the evil one, and the poor wicked witch is the one who's the nice one, and the house lands on her, dreadful. But those things are fairly humorous, but it does give a very strong indication of where society is moving, that things that were accepted norms years ago are now fundamentally wrong and that applies to many many different 
elements in our lives, particularly as it relates to morality. The Christian should look at these developments with some concern. Because remember, our principles don't change. And what do they pursue? Well, get rid of Maleficent. Well, they pursue the pearl of great price. They seek after treasures in heaven. They seek after the kingdom of God. And it's that hope that dictates their activities in the days that remain. That's the focus of the attention of the Christian. It's not on the here and the now. And we can read, can't we, of what Christians went through throughout the ages because of their beliefs. Certainly wasn't a happy time for many of them, stemming all the way from the Roman Empire to the Reformation and so on. And so on. Even in some countries today, Christians are persecuted. So the Christian, it's not about the here and the now, the walking and what we can get out of this life. It's about preparing ourselves for God's kingdom. And so for the Christian, the paramount is to believe the gospel and that that gospel has a real impact in how we live our lives. We want to be baptized once we come to a knowledge of the truth because that associates us with the Lord Jesus Christ going into the water, his death, but coming out of the water, resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. And then we try to follow after that example as we try to walk towards God's kingdom. And society and the Christian seem to be getting further and further apart. And we cannot, therefore, as a Christian, just think that we're a little bit better than society. We've got to make sure that we're measuring ourselves against the datum point of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did Matthew say? Um, Matthew's Gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Can you imagine saying that to people of today? They spend so much time thinking about those things, don't they? The clothes we wear often indicates what type of person we are. If it's a uniform, you might say, oh, that person works for British Airways or is a police officer. If they wear something else, you might say, oh, well, they're a follower of that group. That sports team. Some people who like fashionable clothes are, well, they're a dedicated follower of fashion. That's a very costly business because fashion changes so often. But the Bible says, look, don't worry about these things. They're not important. Of course, we need clothes and we need food, but that should not be the focus of our attention in our lives, the Bible says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness for the Christian, it's not the here and the now, it's the future. And Jesus said, all these things shall be added unto you. You'll have the things you need to survive, says Jesus, if you put your trust in me. First Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So for a Christian, any kind of activity that we might think about doing, we should ask ourselves that question. Does this give God the glory? Would the Lord Jesus Christ be comfortable with me within these set of circumstances? 
would I feel a little embarrassed about the things that I'm doing? And if that's the case, a Christian will say, well, I've got to stop doing that. I've got to stop thinking that way. I've got to stop acting in that way. And it's important for a Christian that we continue to think about those things as we try to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the scripture makes clear that those who are baptized, those who are followers of Jesus, will inherit the kingdom of God. Eternal life is the gift that can be given to all of us if we try to live in these simple ways. So, one last biblical principle, a young man was asking Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There was a focus there of, can I earn it? Is there things that I, have I got a checklist that I need to do? Well, the Lord Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what the man answered. So he had great understanding of what the commandments of Christ and his father were talking about. And the Lord Jesus Christ said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. And that's what a servant of the Lord tries to do, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's quite simple. But then there's not a focus on self, is there, for the Christian? There's a focus on the needs of others, where their physical needs or spiritual needs. Do this and you will live. It's not something that can be earned. It's something that is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the fruits of the Spirit. Now then, can anybody remember what the fruits of the Spirit are? Okay, one from this side. Love. 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 Joy. Peace. 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 Patience. Long-suffering. Long Anything missing? Kindness. Kindness. Self-control. <coughs> Self-control. That's an important one, isn't it? When the Christian's thinking about how we should act. And that's a particularly impressive looking fruit, isn't it? So that's what the Christian thinks about. The fruits of the Spirit. How am I doing? in relation to the fruits of the Spirit. Am I practicing these in my life? We have another beautiful verse in Philippians 4, talking to believers, talking to followers of Jesus. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so just two very simple, straightforward verses that we could, if we wanted to, remember off by heart, and many Christians do. But that's the thing that sticks in our mind when we're thinking about activities that we may wish to enjoy, leisure activities. Ah, do they meet this test that the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians? Well, let's have a look at football. Football is an interesting uh, sport because it has such a passionate number of followers. I remember catching a train once from, uh, from Manchester down to Cardiff, and I was stuck in a carriage of footballers. I was sitting there first, and it was nice and empty. And then about 20 people came in, 
massive burly guys and they all sat down and I was stuck and I thought well I'm gonna have to stay here now and literally for the entire journey they discussed football I wanted to hit the emergency glass and jump out the incredible thing I actually quite like watching the odd game of football but it was incredible the match statistics how different players were improving and how some were going downhill and how the manager needs to change things and what they would do. It was incredible. The entire conversation was football. And again, what does the Bible say? Well, football is not necessarily a bad thing. But if it becomes the prime focus of our lives and takes all of our thinking time or it brings out emotions, that are negative, violence, or anger, or animosity. Those are the kind of things that a Christian will take a step back from. And that applies to all sporting activities, even one of the best sporting activities that you could possibly imagine, even rugby. And that was a momentous occasion of great joy. But even rugby, Sometimes we can get too involved with these things. We've got to be strangers and pilgrims, haven't we? The Bible claims and that we shouldn't show too much allegiance to these things, even though they can be quite amusing, particularly when we beat England. So what does the sport say in the Bible? Well, it's quite straightforward, actually. In the Apostle Paul telling Timothy, he says, for bodily exercise profits a little. It's good to be fit and healthy. It's best not to stay sitting down all day. But what is the focus? Godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. So he's saying to Timothy, isn't he, that it's the scripture that's the important thing. How do we get godliness? How do we become more like the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what we need to be thinking about. That's what we need to be striving for. That's the race that we're running. Not in competition with others, but by ourselves, helping each other as we try to get to the finishing line. <clears throat> There's a different translation there for the Revised Standard Version. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life that is to come. So it's good for the now, because we know what we need to do, and we're looking forward to the gift of everlasting life in God's kingdom. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11 says, I returned and saw in the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding. No favour to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to all. First Corinthians 9 verse 24, Do we not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. The Apostle Paul here and King Solomon is talking about that we're all, if you like, on our pilgrimage journey, we're all running this race. But it's not about being first. It's about looking to your left and to your right and seeing if there's anybody else who needs our help. Because it's not about being first. It's about walking together, strengthening each other. And if someone's looking tired, they look like they're going to fall. You're the person who lifts them up. You give them sustenance. 
whatever they might need. That's what the Christian thinks about as we run the race. Hebrews 12 verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily snares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So that's what we've got to do. We've got to get rid of the weight of the world, the things that hold us back, whether it's worldly pride or materialism or moral issues. We push them to one side so that we can be quick and nimble in the word of God. So what about drugs then? Because there can be good drugs, there can be bad drugs. Well, there were two drug dealers in the Bible, and they both appear in the book of Acts. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, the list that we read together, the word for pharm pharmakia is this word witchcraft. And that's where we get the word pharmacy from. But in this time, in the time of the Apostle Paul, the people who were doing this were concocting drugs that may have some limited value or may have some narcotic value to take you out of yourself. We would call them class A narcotics today, and they are illegal in most modern economies. Those are the two drug dealers. Lamas and Simon. Simon was a drug dealer who realized that actually calls him a sorcerer, that he thought, well, actually mine is pseudoscience. It doesn't really work. I can make a living out of it. But the Holy Spirit, this thing is fascinating. That's what I want. Of course, his motive to receive the Holy Spirit was not pure. And he wanted the ability of the apostles to be able to pass on the Holy Spirit to others. And no doubt he saw that there was a great commercial opportunity in being able to do that. If I could sell the Holy Spirit, I could be rich. So again, the focus on self was his undoing. And again, Elamus here, he was jealous of the apostle Paul uh, teaching the deputy leader of the city of the time because he could see a threat to his business. But what do we think about drugs today? Because we can get very helpful drugs, can't we? What does the Bible say when we think about drugs? Well, the biblical principles are, if the activities are against the law of the land, then a Christian must not do them. So we mustn't break the law. The only time that a Christian breaks the law is if the law is in opposition to God. And to give you an example, if the law said you cannot read your Bible, then a Christian would say, well, I can't obey that law. But we're quite well blessed in, in this country that that's not a law. It's not always the case, is it, in other countries? But for things like this, we should obey the law. We shouldn't take drugs that change the way that we think. And this idea of the loss of self-control. 1 Peter 2, verse 13 to 15, talks about submitting ourselves to the ordinances of those in authority over us. Because to be a good Christian is to obey the law, the Apostle Peter says, as long as it doesn't come into conflict 
with your understanding of the truth. For this is the will of God, says Peter. And so alcohol um, is, an illegal, is a legal drug. It is a, it is a drug, isn't it, of sorts. And it can change the way we act and behave. Years ago, there used to be the Mumbo's Mile, um, and it was very famous with students because there were 19 different pubs. I can see someone remembers. Did you do it? <laughs> it, was a legendary, it was a legendary thing that students did, and it was your rite of passage. And at the end of it, you had drunk 19 pints. And guaranteed, you felt pretty rough after that, and you probably wouldn't be able to make it home. Now, all of those pubs have closed, and if you did the Mumbles Mars Day, it'd be quite sober. But now they've moved over into wine bars. But it's interesting, isn't it? Again, with alcohol, it has good properties. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, who seemed to suffer with a stomach problem, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine with it because this will help to settle your stomach. So there is a principle, isn't there, that we can take things that, that are useful for us, but they may relieve us of some pain or some affliction. But then there's also a warning, isn't there? In Ephesians 5 verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine in wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Don't fill yourself with intoxicants, Fill yourself with the Spirit, the Word of God. And of course, the Bible makes it very clear, doesn't it? That we've got to be sober-minded, we read in Titus. And that means to exercise self-control. Because if we do get drunk, we lose our normal self-control. And you can see it if you drive in any city centre on a Friday or Saturday night. People doing things, saying things that they wouldn't normally do. And so the Bible makes it very clear that a Christian would think very carefully about indulging in any activity where there's a potential for losing control. Because that will lead us back to sin. What about fashion then? Because fashion is always an interesting one. I was going to show you some pictures of the fashion in Victorian times, but I thought you know what they were. What do we think about fashion? You see up here, we've got a, a tattoo. Tattoos have exploded in terms of uh, people who use them these days. Quite interesting when you, uh, when I was younger, that men, it was mainly men who had tattoos, generally when they got older were a bit embarrassed of them and they wished that they'd never done it. Whereas nowadays, the number of tattoos is growing at an exponential rate. In the hairdresser that I go to, there's a, there's a tattoo um, artist there, and he drives around in a car that's 150,000 pounds. Astonishing. Can't meet demand. So what does a Christian think about when we're thinking about fashion, our hairstyles? Is a tattoo acceptable if we put on there a proverb? Because that proverb is Proverbs 3 and verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Is that an acceptable tattoo for a Christian? Well, it would be better if it was in their brains rather than on their body, perhaps. <clears throat> but what does the Bible say about these things? Well, 1 Corinthians 
11 verse 14 says, Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? There are many in this room who say we would like to have any hair, but sadly, the sands of time have passed. But for a Christian, a male Christian then, wanting to have long hair, would have to look at that verse and say, well, what does it mean? And that's what the Christian does, is that whatever they want to do, they open their Bibles, see the principle and see how it should be applied. Similarly, 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 says that a woman adorned herself in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braiding hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. So a Christian woman would have to think, well, what does that mean? What is modest? Not what's modest by the standards of today, but what is modest in the standards back in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because those are fundamentally different things. The Christian thinks very carefully about what they put on. Because what we wear tells a lot about us and whose we are and whose we serve. And then finally, for those who, who want to get a tattoo, it's good to read Leviticus chapter 19 because it seems to make clear there, you shall not make any cuttings. And for those of you who know anything about <coughs> tattooing, it does cut the body to, to put the ink in there. And in the more modern translation, it says, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. So again, a Christian wanting to get a tattoo has got to think, well, what does the Bible say about it? And there was a very practical purpose for this verse in Leviticus, because deliberately cutting your flesh could allow you to be infected, and without antibiotics, you could readily die. So there was a very practical reason in the Old Testament that, that why that was not acceptable. It was also associated with worship of idols, other gods, false gods made with men's hands. And so for a Christian, even if you wanted to put a tattoo on of a biblical verse, would have to think very carefully about what does that verse mean? And is it a better idea in that case not to get one? And again, we're not here to tell you what's right or wrong because it's for you to make that decision as a Christian and what is acceptable and what would the Lord Jesus Christ feel comfortable with us doing. Now, <clears throat> music. Some of us love music. Other of us can take it or leave it. And there's lots of different types of music. Does anybody know who that is? No? No, I have no idea either. Apparently she's someone quite famous because she's the top hit on Google. Somebody must know who she is. Anyway. <clears throat> and you've got classical music. Is it acceptable for a Christian to listen to music? And of course, the Bible makes it quite clear that there are very positive things when we think about music. Music seems to be very much connected with some of the Psalms, that when you were to recite the Psalms, music helps you remember things. But what does the principle say whatsoever is pure of good report? And so music whereby the lyrics 
to the music are questionable in terms of their morality or they encourage activity that a Christian would feel uncomfortable with, then those are the kind of things that a Christian would say, well, that kind of music I'm, I'm not going to subscribe to. I'm not going to listen to that. It is incredible in our day and age how many of us can remember songs. But sadly, the vast majority of the songs that we remember have nothing to do with God at all. Because they do stick in our brains, don't they? Ephesians 5 verse 19 to 20. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks for all things to God. So music can be a very positive thing. It gets us infused. It picks us up. It can improve our, our moods, our way of thinking. But again, a Christian would think carefully about listening to music that encourages activities that Christ would feel uncomfortable with. Well, media and games, and this is a, an interesting one. I didn't know this, but EastEnders is still going. It's incredible. It's been going for some 18 to 20 years. Again, what would a Christian think about watching television or engaging in media activities? There are certainly things up here that will help us realize what kind of shows they are, or what kind of games they are. It's interesting in this day and age that the youth, a lot of boys spend their times on games and a lot of girls spend their times on, on social media platforms like Instagram. Even though sometimes society purports that they're the same, they do follow those two distinct channels as the statistics tell us. But again, some of these things clearly are not going to help a Christian on their kingdom walk. And so a Christian thinks very carefully about the kind of things that we put into our brains, the kind of music we listen to, the films we watch, the games we might play. And it shouldn't be something that a Christian does automatically without thinking about it, because it is important. The other thing that links to this is the growth of the smartphone. It's incredible, isn't it, that, that 20 years ago we could probably get by quite easily without having a mobile phone in our pockets. Nowadays, we feel completely lost without it. How could we cope without having all the maps of the world in our pocket and an instant torch? And all the apps that we might need, a spirit level, you never know when you might need one of those. Or to call somebody in China. It's a very funny skit that I was going to show you, but I decided not to do it, that, that how absurd it is that within this phone, which becomes such a part of our lives, that in reality, do we need to take every single photograph we've ever taken with us in our pocket, just in case? Dance like no one is watching because no one is, because they're all on their smartphones. But look at the difference. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? This is uh, in Moscow, and it's a New Year's Eve celebration. That's 2005, and you've got an early adopter there with a very small mobile phone taking some really poor quality pictures. Roll the clock forward, just eight years, and every single individual has a smartphone. Nowadays, that would be exactly the same, just a higher definition of photographs that you can take. It's interesting, isn't it? The Christian's attitude to the smartphone. Science says 
Is the smartphone making us dull? And we're going to have a look actually in a couple of moments as to see how much time we're spending on our different apps. But what is fascinating is the amount of time that our young people are spending in front of screens. This survey was done before COVID and obviously during COVID it's probably dramatically more. But can you see the average five to 15 year old spends 48 hours, 48 hours a week, not a month, a week in front of a screen. That's absolutely staggering, isn't it? That is more than a full-time job. And interestingly, you know what adults are doing? It's not just children. Adults often will look at these devices before they go to bed, which is possibly the worst thing you can do because the brain sees the blue light, thinks it's daytime, and it takes you a lot longer to fall to sleep. It's not associated with positive brain activity. And that's why they're trying to change the colors in this to make it not make the brain think that it's, that it's daytime. And so even though some of these things by themselves are not a problem and they have many useful activities, and that's absolutely clear, it's the amount of time that they are taking up. A Christian thinks very carefully about how to walk to God's kingdom. Are we spending most of our time doing what we want to do, enjoying ourselves? How much time do we spend looking after the needs of others, reading God's word and applying it in our lives? Now then, now is the time, and if those are on Zoom can do this too, for the smartphone challenge. Okay, I want you to all pick your smartphones out because I know you've all got them. I've done it with the iPhone because I don't know how to do it uh, on an Android device, but if you've got a mobile phone, it's always good to do it. And uh, this is what I did on screen earlier. You go to your settings, then you go down to the battery area. Click on battery. Has everybody clicked on battery? And then it should come up with this screen on the far right-hand side. And you can see up here, it says the last 10 days. The photograph that I took was the last day. And you can see I've been spending a lot of time on the Touch Bible. Because that was the last 24 hours. I decided not to show you my 10-day summary because it wasn't so positive. But click on the last 10 days. And then when you scroll down, have a look at show activity, which is down here. Okay? Show activity. And you'll see how many hours you've spent on different apps. So anybody spent more than 30 hours on one app, put your hands up and we'll all ridicule you. No, just kidding. But it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because when you do that, you suddenly realize that I've played really bad chess, which is a very great app, for four and a half hours. No idea that I'd spent that much time playing really bad chess. And it's Daniel's fault because I never even knew it existed until he told me about it. And if you scroll down there, you can see that I've spent an hour and 50 reading emails. I've spent four hours reading the news and so on and so on. It's actually quite interesting, isn't it, for us to think about how much time are we spending? And this is just one screen. There are other screens that can take our time away equally powerful and persuasive. Because a Christian takes deliberate steps to make sure that they're not going to be sucked in with self, because that's what this device 
is all really about. It's got everything we need. If we're into shopping, we can instantly shop. If we're into fashion, if we want to watch a movie, if we want to listen to some music. Virtually everything you want now is in your pocket. And so every temptation is just a few clicks away. And that makes it much more difficult for the Christian to spend their time doing the right things. So how one practical step that we discussed uh, with our young people in youth groups is to have time limits on certain apps so that it pops up on the screen and says, sorry, you've spent an hour today on this app. It's shut down. And if you really want to, to change your behavior, get someone else to set your password for you so you can't undo it. So there's very practical measures that a, that a Christian can take, but it is important for a Christian to think about these things. What are we spending our time doing? Because if we start looking at our week and realizing that we've spent 30, 40 hours in front of screens, which is generally to do with self-indulgence, then that's not what we should be doing, is it? And it's important for a Christian then to think on these things because the scripture wants us, doesn't it, to manifest the fruits of the spirit. We can't be manifesting the fruits of the spirit if we just look at the screen, even though we can speak to people in different parts of the world. Remember what we read about in Philippians. Whatsoever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Think about these things. And so we've come to the end of our, of our talk. I hope it was uh, interesting for everybody. And it's, it's useful, isn't it, for all of us, particularly for myself, to think about where are we spending our time in our leisure and relaxation activities? Because by themselves, they're not a problem, are they? And our lives are not supposed to be lives of, 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 of work and hardship and trial and tribulation. But if that's all they become the focus of, how we can get total happiness, then we've got an imbalance. And the Bible says to us that sometimes our lives are going to be hard as followers of Christ. Sometimes we may even be persecuted for our beliefs. But the role of the Christian is to follow after Christ in the good times as well as in the bad times and not to be distracted, to look after each other, to guard, guide, and keep each other, bearing each other's burdens as we see the kingdom coming. So finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, just, lovely, of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. How often do we spend our time reading our Bibles? That's the, the act that we want to be spending our time doing. Because it is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And so may our Lord Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father be with us all as we read together from his word and that we try to put it into practice in our lives. Do more of what makes you holy not necessarily what always makes us happy. Thank you.